today's episode, we're, we're talking with uh, Jake from State Farm, Jake Davis, and he's going to be talking about insurance and then also touching on some of um, his experience as a real estate investor. And what's really important, guys, is this was a young combat arm soldier spent about three years in and all of a sudden came into a sales environment where he started to dominate. And he talks about all the little things about how to save money with insurance. What's more important? Is it the deductible or the premium and how all of those things kind of play a factor? So stay tuned. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glasby. And this is the Military Cashflow Podcast where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now, let's get started creating this military cash flow. What's going on, guys? This is Dan Wynn. Mike Glasby. And welcome to the Military Cash Flow. Hey, today we got a very special guest, you know, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So we have uh, Jake from State Farm with us. His name is Jake Davis, and uh, he's going to be talking uh, about his experience with real estate also as a, an insurance salesman as well. So uh, Jake, thank you for coming on. Really, really appreciate you. Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are and what you do? Yeah, man. Appreciate it, Dan. Thanks, Mike, for inviting me onto the podcast. Uh, yeah, so I am a uh, State Farm agent aspirant here in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I uh, started the company August 1st of 2019. I uh, rolled right into it after the military. Uh, I was a Cav Scout, joined the military in 2016. Uh, went into the 82nd Airborne Unit. Uh, never got to deploy, ended up having some medical issues uh, throughout my Army career. And I ended up just getting medically separated in 2019. And I you know, transition right out of the military, you know, uh, looking for a job. I had a couple of things lined up, but uh, really didn't know what was going to be the next uh, career path for me. Uh, you know, ventured into doing some uh, gym sales a little bit. Didn't really work out. You know, I was really wondering, like, how I'm going to feed my family. What am I going to do about mortgage? You know, because that's got to be paid still. But the whole insurance thing kind of just like fell on my lap. And, you know, it's been a great opportunity since I've had that now and uh, really blessed to have the opportunity to keep going with State Farm and looking forward to what the next 20, 30 years got to got to offer for me. Nice. So what was it about what was it about insurance or what was it about State Farm that really attracted you? Because you said, you know, you, you got out and it sounds like I'm not sure if that was um, if that was planned. Well, it doesn't sound like it was planned for you to get out or you, you knew what time it was that you were going to get out. But what was it that kind of pushed you in that direction towards State Farm after trying a couple of things and actually getting out of the military? Um, really job security. I, uh, I, had a, I had a friend of mine who was in uh, State Farm and he actually introduced me to Charles, the agent where I work for now. And he said, man, this is a great opportunity for you. You know, it's done me very well. So uh, I listened, uh, went and got licensed. You know, it was a two week, it was a two week school uh, had to get licensed in property, casualty, life and health. And, uh, you know, I met Charles, really seen the kind of lifestyle that he lived, the financial freedom that he has now. And I was like, man, yeah, I definitely can see myself doing something like that. And, you know, at first, you know, with any type of sales job, you don't really, you don't really know what it's going to, you know, entail, especially in like the winter months to, uh, you know, getting close to Christmas and stuff, you know, people's not really buying things. And so, you know, I had, I had my doubts and, you know, wondering, you know, this is what I really want to do. And, you know, you got to break through that threshold, you know, you know, just keep, you know, your clientele, uh, 
your leads going, follow-ups too. The follow-ups are huge. So once I started getting the ball rolling on my snowball, that's when I'm like, okay, yeah, this is, this is it. You know, you got to keep it. What I, what I like to say is kind of like a diesel engine. You always got to keep that diesel engine going. And then once, you know, sales are coming through, uh, I really just, you know, looked up and, you know, saw the light. I was like, man, this is something that I really could do for, for a while now. And I, I love it. It's, it's funny you said that you said that you were looking or you found job security through sales. That's yeah. an oxymoron just across the board, right? Because a lot yeah. of people in sales is you have to kill what you eat. But I mm -hmm. love the fact that uh, for you with that, once you shifted your mentality, it truly is job security, right? Because now yeah. you know your potential. Yeah, That's yeah. Yeah, you really, uh, you know, the ball's in your court in sales. Like it's, you know, if, if, if you're not having a good month or if you're not eating or if, you know, obviously you're going to eat, but, you know, if you're not doing stuff to put the food on the table for your family, you got to look in the mirror. You know, it's no one else's fault but yours. So uh, you got to have that mentality of the go-getter. And, you know, during this whole time of the pandemic right now, a lot of people are, you know, it's sad. A lot of uh, people are wondering, you know, where their next paycheck's coming from, but, you know, Sometimes you just got to go get it and, you know, put the, you know, put the pedal down to the floor, really. Yeah, man, you got to go after, go out and get after it, man. That's, that's pretty much what it's all about. Yeah. So I'd love to talk about um, a couple things. One, obviously you are in a, you are also an investor, right? And then you, you do sell the insurance as well. So I'm sure you can talk a lot about the rental insurance as well as other types of insurance that would affect uh, military members. So I'd like to touch on both of those. Um, but let's start with the insurance piece first. All right. So what, um, what are some things that, that maybe we have a lot of like first time investors or even like, you know, people with just one or two deals, right. And they're, and they're, they're, executing these deals and they're just like, Hey man, I'm just going to find some kind of rental insurance. It doesn't really matter what it is. I just got to find something just cause it satisfies, you know, uh, satisfies my lender. I have to have something, right. What would you say to that person? Like, what are some things that, that could possibly help them in their journey and finding a, a, um, good rental insurance? Yeah. So what's that? Go ahead, Mike. No, no, just saying drop some of them real estate tips. Yeah, yeah. man. Uh, absolutely. So, you know, there's different types of, uh, fire insurance uh when it comes to to property so you know you got your ho3s which are going to be your home buyers and then you have your renter insurance for people who are for your uh your uh people who's renting properties like such as you know tenants you know people who are moving into apartments uh rental properties my biggest thing i could suggest for people who are buying property and you know this is their first house they're moving into it let's say it's a military couple uh go ahead and get on top of the the, the homeowner's insurance because you don't want to wait on the homeowner's insurance to get it last minute. That way you don't have to hold up the closing costs, you know, not the closing costs, but the closing date. So you don't ever want to, you don't ever want to, you know, get the homeowner's insurance, let's say four or five days before your closing date is, you know, cause now you've got your, your, your brokers, you know, all worried out, you know, worried and your real estate agents, you know, all worried because, you know, yes. you know, they're like, Hey, you know, where's the insurance guy? You know, what if it's a Saturday? What if it's a more Memorial day weekend? You know, no one's at the office. So make sure you get on top of that. Uh, stay on, stay on top of that. Really make sure you get it done pretty quick. And two, like on uh, uh, the coverage of the top of the house, um, what they're going to do for like State Farm, we put it into what they call an ERC tool. And so pretty much we, it's a system that has uh, it pulls all the comps of it, the top of the house it is. We don't really have to do too much manual work in it unless the house has been flipped and it doesn't automatically pre-populate. 
So that coverage on the dwelling will be uh, sometimes, you know, substantially, you know, a lot more than what the house is worth. But that's kind of good too, you know, that gives the insurance company room to work, let's say, you know, in case of a loss. Uh, so that's good. But make sure you always have adequate coverage, you know, that your personal property coverage, which is going to be things that you own, such as like your, I don't know, clothes. The analogy I always give is like, you know, take the roof off of your house, flip it upside down, everything that falls out of the house. You want to make sure you have enough money from the insurance companies to pay out. So always make sure your personal property coverage is met to how much personal property you need. So let's let's break some of that down, man, because you you went in pretty deep pretty quick. So check this out. The homeowner's insurance quote, you said get that ASAP. How long does it generally take somebody shopping for insurance coverage to get a decent quote? 15, 20 minutes. 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Okay. So as soon as the customer calls me, you know, we got to take their information. And uh, the state of North Carolina, if you're married, you're, you're legally have to list the spouse's information on the homeowner's insurance. And same goes with auto insurance. You have to list them on there. So, you know, if the customer can already have that, you know, right in front of, you know, they just transition it over to the agent or the sales team member who's going to be quoting it and they'll get right into it and they pretty much just plug and play. That's it. And it's, it's real simple. It takes 10, 15, 20 minutes to get done, really. But then you guys got to come out and actually get the pol to get the policy, to get the full policy, it takes a lot longer, correct? I mean, you got to come out to the house, verify everything's there, you know. And correct, okay. correct. There'll be an underwriter. So we'll, we'll submit it to our underwriter. They'll take a look at it. And they'll, what they'll have is like a, somebody come out there to appraise the house, pretty much, an adjuster. And how long does that take the, to actually get the policy issued? Um, depends on the property. If there was issues on the house that needed to be uh, needed to be fixed, we'll get an email from the underwriter saying, "Hey, there's you know there's a couple of issues on the house. Let's get this fixed, and then we can submit the the accurate data up to the underwriters and show them they got it fixed, and then boom." But most of the time, policies can get issued within like a week or so, really. Okay. Yeah. All right, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Hey, make sure you go leave a five-star review on the podcast and then also go check out militarycashflow.com to get access to all the products we have. We have a bunch of great stuff on the website to include um, access to the Facebook group, access to a military cash flow calculator so you can analyze your deals. We have uh, courses. We have all of our social media. We just have a bunch of stuff on there, so go check that out, and with that, Here's a word from our sponsors. And so that's, that's huge because like you mentioned, timeliness, right? So many people come into a real estate uh, uh, property and they try to calculate their numbers, primarily their debt obligation or mm -hmm. their pity payment. One of the eyes in the pity, you know, you got your principal interest, taxes and insurance. Yep. A lot of times if they don't get these quotes, if they don't get the policies issued, then they have no idea what the insurance premium is actually going to be. So yep. you guys heard it. Jake from State Farm Insurance 101 quickly just said, yo, get the quote ASAP. It takes you 15, 20 minutes and start that policy process. So one, you know, the number. Second part is the timeliness. This is, you know, we're now recording this on a holiday weekend. Now, Jake doesn't, he doesn't rest for nobody, but your average insurance provider might, right? And they may not be available. So if you close literally, this is a Friday. If you were to close Monday, and you haven't started that policy pro now you've just delayed closing and guess who's mad you're everybody but the sellers are mad the providers the lenders the 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 brokers 
So that is huge. Okay. Yeah. Now, now I want to dig into that type of coverage. You, you mentioned that you want at least adequate coverage to cover it. You, you covered a couple different parts. Sorry. The first one, you said an ERC calculator. What is that? What, what goes into that to kind of pop out a number? Yeah. So what it is, is, um, it's some kind of system that, that our, that our company uses where we just pretty much, you know, type in the address and it automatically pre-populates what type of house it is. Um, and then you can kind of choose too, like, let's say if it's an economy house, a standard house, a custom house, or like a well above average house, you kind of get to pick and choose a which type of house it is. And then you'll go buy from, you know, bedrooms, you know, the hardwood floors, tile floors, laminate floors, you know, uh, two car garage, one car garage, you kind of just plug and play what the house is. Now, what I like to do for, to make the process easier, I go straight to Zillowrealtor.com, you know, look at those type of websites and I'll go ahead and see like, okay, that house has a metal roof or that house has a, a three composite shingle tower roof, you know? So I'll go in there and I'll, I'll determine what it looks like for me. If the ERC tool doesn't pre-populate. Now, sometimes it's not always accurate. That's why it's important to, you know, to talk to, the buyers of the house and sometimes reach out to the home inspectors of the house who's done it on the property. Um, but normally, you know, that tool is pretty accurate some of the times. So you really just, you know, just, it's all plug and play really determine on, determine on the type of property it is. That's good stuff. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah. So we talk pity, right? Principal interest taxes and insurance. That's the, the main factors that you're the, the basically the, uh, the big rock that's, that you're going to be paying out as far as your expenses, right? And then insurance is, is the piece, or is the, is, is the piece that we're talking about with you. So knowing that, I want my expenses to be as low as possible. Therefore, I want my insurance to be as low as possible. What would you say to those that are out there shopping just to get the cheapest insurance, period? And, and what, should, what, should, what does that really mean for me, just having cheap insurance? Cheap isn't always the best. Um, I always like to, I really, really, you know, have to drive that nail on the head right there because, you know, obviously everybody wants to, you know, pay the lowest price, but sometimes the lowest price isn't always better. And it, you know, come to things, you know, such as buying a, buying a house, you know, that's a big asset is your home. You know, you don't want the cheapest stuff that's going to be covering one of your assets. So same thing, you know, you have with like your, uh, your rental properties that you own or, um, other assets you, that you have, you know, you don't want that big of a risk on those assets really. So whenever you're digging into the insurance on the property and uh, the cost of it, sometimes, yeah, you, you want to go get, you know, the lowest price, but really sometimes it doesn't, uh, the price isn't, is going to affect the, you know, the, the, what I'm trying to say is that the coverage of the house is going to affect the price. So, you know, um, if you buy a house for $250,000, $150,000, obviously that, price of that property is going to be a lot different than the one of the $250,000. So but, go ahead. So Jake, my, my house is a hundred thousand. My rental property is a hundred thousand dollars. Why does my, why do I need a rental policy that says 250 that says, that says it covers $250,000. What's the purpose of that? I have a hundred thousand dollar house, right? It only costs a hundred, hundred thousand dollars to rebuild. Right? So what's the purpose of having a $250,000 policy for a hundred thousand dollar house? Uh, the risk. So you've got so you got someone renting out, right? Yeah. Okay. The liability. Um, right. you know, it's, it's all about the protection of you and then also the protection of your tenant as well. So that's your property that you own. 
and you have someone else living in it. Now you're not only responsible for that house, but you're also responsible for that tenant living in there. So you want to make sure you have that adequate coverage on that property. That way you transfer all that risk over to the insurance company. Correct. That way you, know, you don't get into, let's say, uh, a sticky situation where you didn't have good coverage. Something terrible happened on the property. You get sued and you don't have a lot of, you know, business liability insurance on that property. So now that you're sitting up, you know, around 200,000, 300,000 of uh, coverage, you don't have to worry about that. You can sleep at night now. So it's, love, always, it's always good to have that coverage. I love that you explain that because on it, like my very first property was about a hundred thousand dollars, right? My very first rental property. And I had a $250,000 coverage and I was like, bro, yeah, <laughs> well, my, my insurance, uh, my insurance uh, person had to actually explain that to me exactly how you did. So um, if you're listening out there, definitely uh, take, take heed and, and just rewind that if you need to, to, to understand why your policy covers so much more than what your home is actually worth. So, and there's yeah. a lot of times where people will, will, will talk about an LLC versus an insurance policy. Ultimately, like Jake just said, it's about protecting yourself from being sued from being, you know, whatever the case may be. So, you know, a person can only sue you for so much depending on certain things. So if your insurance policy was to cover it, that could be a great substitute for an LLC, right? It's just a conversation starter because a lot of people have that, those, those, uh, you know, those doubts or those comparisons. Um, but ultimately it's about your protection. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Now I want to touch on the, you know, I was telling you, you know, you got your different types of, uh, fire coverage for your either homeowners or your renters. Now let's, you know, let's move to the renter side of things now. And this is going to be most of our, you know, most of our listeners here are probably military, right? You know, hence military cash flow. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of, you know, the soldiers, uh, they rent, you know, they, they pick up PCS rent properties. So now if you want to get on the cheap side of things, they, they, all they have to have is renter's insurance. You can pick up a rental policy probably for, I don't know. I've seen it as low as $5 to as high as $25. Really it just depends on how much personal property coverage you need. And they also have liability as well in their, uh, in their, on their policy too, because they're, you know, they're renting from somebody else. So now they got to be protected and covered on their side of things. But is that liability for them, for the rent tour, for the tenant, or is yes. that liability for the landlord and the renter's position? Does that make sense? The, the renter's position. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. So I wanted to ask you, I, I, uh, when we're talking about different things that can kind of affect uh, insurance quotes or insurance premiums, the, how much does like the type of roof, the type of foundation, the type of siding, the type of interior renovations, how much do those play when it comes in? Oh, they, they, they play a lot. So uh, metal roofs, uh, obviously, you know, they're going to be more expensive to replace then. Uh, shingle roofs, um, brick houses. Uh, they're obviously, well, brick veneer, they really, uh, insurance companies look at them, I believe is more safe because they're not as prone to fire, if that makes sense. So um, it might be a little bit cheaper for a house that has brick, you know, it's going to be cheaper for a house that has good security systems because they can offer discounts for smoke detectors, fire alarms, uh, you know, uh, things in that nature as well. And there's one of the questions that ask us on the, uh, the quote tool is if a house has a sprinkler system. Now, what houses have sprinkler systems? Not many, but when it gets into the commercial side of things, boom, there, there you go. So that's going to be a big a key, a factor of price with having those in there. So, 
Yeah. One thing I really want to hit on guys is because that that's actually very interesting about the metal roofs. There's so many investors that want a metal roof. Why? Because their CapEx, their capital expenditure allocation can be greatly reduced because the roof, the metal roof lasts forever. Yep. But if you guys listen, Jake just mentioned that the premium will be higher because it's more expensive to replace. So if you guys are not taking that time to get that quote and being accurate with the actual quality of, you know, whatever the construction material is, your cash flow can be affected in a way that you may or may not consider positive. So always keep that in mind. That was, that was actually really good that you brought that up. Brick veneer security systems, some of those things that, you know, we're familiar with, but the metal roof, a lot of people will, will overlook that. Yeah. And two, also like having other structures on the property, like uh, sheds, uh, detached garages too. Um, if you have those, you definitely uh, want to make sure you have adequate coverage on those as well, because that falls under the category of your homeowner's insurance as well. Yeah. Excellent. Hey, so, all right. So we talked a lot about the homeowner's insurance, right? Because a lot of, you know, everybody's listening, um, either is an aspiring investor or, or is an investor, right? Uh, as far as real estate. What about other types of insurance that might affect other soldiers? Because obviously we, you know, this is a military uh, platform um, and we do have 99.9% .9 of our listeners are, are, are military. So are there any other types of insurance that um, are any other tips that you can give for our, our military members out there listening um, that, that might help them out in regards to other types of insurance? Yeah, absolutely. So we could target on the, the auto uh, first, of course. Um, what I would suggest for any any newcomer soldier who's fresh into the unit, you know, in the army, not much life experience, uh, shop around for some auto insurance. A absolutely, don't just go with the first one that somebody throws at you, like a team leader would or something. Uh, make sure you shop around something that's going to be affordable in your budget. And uh, same with like going by buying a car too. You know, um, make sure you you know go to the chain of command, talk to your squad leader, say, Hey, you know, I'm looking to buy a car. What kind of car do I need to get? You know, don't go out and buy that 2020 Camaro. That's going to be, you know, sorry to all my uh, dealerships that I work out there, you know, that's blasphemy, not, that's blasphemy to all those privates out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. But yeah, just be weary though. Cause you know, they're, they're, they're trying to get a sale. Everybody's trying to get a sale, but be weary of that because you know, when you get a car, got to get insurance. So uh, be wary of that. And, you know, insurance on those new, those new vehicles, chargers are going to be pretty up there. You know, if you especially haven't been driving for a couple of years now and not much driving experience, it's going to be up there in the price range. So always make sure that you definitely, uh, you know, shop around and two, like the deductibles too, you know, don't go get a thousand dollar deductible. And I saw you point Mike, you were about to talk about oh, deductibles on the homeowner's insurance because we missed it. Yeah. Uh, but on the auto side of things, you definitely do not want, you know, a thousand dollar deductible on a vehicle. You just don't want it, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. So I got, I got to say for, for, <laughs> I know this is, you know, insurance one-on-one, -on -one, but for those cars guys, I literally had um, a, a junior enlist that come up to me and said, Hey, I got a great deal on the car. I'm only paying 16%. Whoa. I said, <laughs> what does he even mean? Sank. I was like a good deal. So please, guys, uh, go out and, you know, no, no shade on that individual, but please educate yourselves, guys. Shop around for better rates. Shop around for better insurance folks. But I got, we got it. We got to touch on it, man, while it's still hot. Deductibles. 
Talk to us about deductibles, man. Just what is it, just so for people who don't know, and then what are some things to consider when, when, when choosing deductibles? Okay, on the homeowners or the? Homeowners, homeowners. homeowners. Okay, so deductible depends on each company. So I know with the State Farm, if you have your autos with State Farm, you get to have a lower deductible than someone who doesn't have their auto. It's kind of like the perks of, you know, just being with uh, faithful to a company. But um, I said, you know, I suggest on the, on the deductibles things on the homeowners. Um, if you can, you know, if you have your auto, it'd be a thousand dollar deductible. Um, that's the lowest you can go on the homeowners. But what the deductible is, is if you ever have a loss on the house and you go file a claim, that's the number that you have to pay to the insurance company before any work gets done to replace or fix the property that was damaged. And two, also, uh, now that it's on my mind as well, when filing claims on a home, you know, if you can, I always like to, you know, tell my customers, if you, if you can fix it out of pocket, fix it out of pocket because you don't want to file so many claims on a home because an insurance company will drop coverage on you if there's so many claims that's been filed on that house. Now, let's say if it was a, uh, you know, North Carolina is very prone to hurricanes. So hurricanes come through, shingles are falling off the roof. Um, you know, don't be afraid to file a claim on something that a storm uh, damages happen on it because they will waive that and see that it was an actual hurricane or catastrophic related type of incident. So, uh, so be wary of those type of things as well whenever you go file a claim. And I'm glad, I'm glad you touched on that really quick because I actually, um, so I live at Fort Stewart and I've lived here before and hurricanes come through here pretty often. Right. Mm -hmm. And a couple of times it came through like every single year, twice, two, two times a year or something like that, pretty much evacuated, uh, Fort Stewart for, you know, larger, uh, hurricanes. And I filed for this like food spoilage thing. Right. I'm sure you're probably familiar with it, they, they pretty much, told us and like every, everyone in the military talked about it, at least at Fort Stewart, hey, file for the, the food spoilage thing, you know, your food's been sitting in the refrigerator, all that food's bad, you know, you turned all your power off, all that stuff. So it's like 500 bucks. I filed for that for like, like two times. Um, and what I didn't know, you talked about filing claims uh, several times, is that um, when I went to buy another four unit, I actually bought a four unit with a VA loan. Um, they saw all that and it it gave me issues. So I had mm -hmm. to go through a different insurance company because um, USAA is, is who I was using. Um, they were like, well, you, you filed too many claims on, you know, on your last home, but it was just food spoilage. So what's up with that? Yeah, man. Um, so what it is, is so many, there can only be so many claims filed within, I believe it's two years. And if you have more than, so many claims during that two-year span some insurance companies might not offer you coverage or they if you've already got coverage with that company and it's part of their uh i guess part of their uh rules or uh they'll, they'll drop you so like i like i mentioned if you can i get something for like food spoilage just go to the grocery store and replace it if you you know that's it's not worth losing the homeowner's coverage over or you know how or go through the headache of having to shop around to get more if it's over something, you know, minute is something like that. Now, yeah, no like one, if, that's, that's great, great information. No one told us, you know, no one told us that, which is a thing that everyone kept saying around posts, like, Hey, you know, food spoilage, food spoilage. Okay, I, you know? I, I got two questions. So what, so you said so many claims on one house, 
What happens if you have a nice portfolio now and you place a claim on each of those houses in the span of two years? Same thing? Oh, you, I might have to find out for that one for you. But okay. I want to say, yeah, um, I'll have to get back with you on that. We find loopholes, military cash flow. No, I'm playing. Yes. No, yeah, no, 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 uh, seriously. But I, I wouldn't want to give you something that I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't know right, the answer right, right. to. But I feel like it would follow the house, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, because I do know that whenever uh, I, I, I own or, you know, a rental property myself, and whenever I go and see uh, the, the LHR, which is like the lost history report, mm-hmm. I can see everything that was filed on that house from the previous people who lived there before. And also the, the tenant who lives there now, like if she were to, uh, if she were to file a claim, I can see all that, that follows that house. So it might just follow that, that property. So okay. that's how, something how, that I'd have to check into as well. How far back does that, uh, history report go just generally? Uh, I want to say how, how long does it count for? Like, let's say the, the loss would count. Yeah. Is it the two? Uh, three years, three years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, and then the second question I had was, you said that $1,000 was the lowest deductible you could get. What is the highest deductible one could, could get? That's through State Farm is $1,000 deductible. Okay. I'm not sure okay. if there's other companies that have lower deductibles than that. So what, um, yeah, what's the average range then? Uh, 1000 2000 2500 $3,000, but I've never seen anything over $3,000. And so on that note of deductibles, I know uh, we've mentioned this before on military cash flow, but a lot of... Uh, one, uh, a big question, I guess, for, for investors is how much should my reserves be? How much should I have in reserves? How much should I allocate to CapEx and this, that, and the third? And one of the general rules of thumbs that I love to do is base it off of my deductible. So understanding that if the big, large CapEx item did fail, the roof, the HVAC, whatever the policy actually covers, you know, yes, it may cost $7,000 to do it myself out of pocket, but if my <laughs> deductible is 2,500, then I've just paid a third of the cost and got the problem fixed, right? Yep. So that's a situation where I like to choose personally the highest deductible. And if I can do it for less than 2,500 bucks, I do it out of my reserves. I don't file the claim. And then if it is a big ticket item, that's where I can sit back and consider the deductible. But Correct. just something to consider for all the listeners out there. Yeah, too. And because like, if you think about it over a span of time, and if you do the math on something, you know, the more, the more claims you, uh, you file on insurance, either it's auto home, you know, that's eventually going to raise your, your premium up premium. So if you can fix it under, you know, uh, under your deduct, if you can fix it before that filing claim using your deductible, I would, because you might end up saving money at the long end because you now have an insurance premium that's for either a home, you know, a homeowner's insurance or 12 months, you know, your autos are six months. So if you can get that, uh, if you can get that fixed, you know, that issue fixed on your own dime, I would, because you might end up paying more on the premium for the six months, or the 12 months over, you know, than you would actually paying on it, um, with a deductible. So food for thought. Definitely. Love it. Yeah. Hey, so we, we talked a lot about, you know, insurance 101 covered a lot of the, the, um, the insurance, pure insurance piece. So let's talk about some of the real estate, uh, real estate there. Um, so we know you're an investor, right? Let's talk about, let's talk about that first deal. Um, let's talk about the first deal one, and then two, um, maybe your views from it as now being an insurance agent, if that changed anything about, um, about your thought process when it comes to investing in the future as well. Yeah, definitely, Dan. Um, so, you know, I bought my house, you know, wasn't even, 
what, what the reason why I bought my my first property was because me and my wife Cassidy were we were we were sitting there talking over dinner one night and we was like man let's see how much money we have spent renting for the last two years bro we did the math on that and it was like man we just made somebody else so much richer why are we not you know utilizing our uh, VA benefits and going to buy a property now you know turning around you know a year from now renting it out and then keep doing that. Um, so that's what we did. The first house, uh, bought a single family, you know, uh, three bed, two bath house, uh, somewhere around our mortgage, I think, you know, two, $300 cash flow on, you know, one property, you know, becomes, you know, two, $300 cash flow on another property as I keep using my VA loan down the line. So that's what we did. We know we, we bought that one November of 2018. Uh, then we moved out of it in 2019 and bought the house that we're in now. And we're going to do that probably, um, probably again in the next couple of years. So, but now knowing I know what an insurance, uh, being in the insurance, what I would look for into buying properties now is uh, location, definitely location, 100%. And now the type of house that we talked about, is it going to be brick? Is it going to be uh, panel um, type of roof? It's going to be also the year that it was built, you know, all, all that good stuff right there. So... So two things I want to hit on that I absolutely love that you did and, um, I, you know, definitely take note of what he said there. So he said he did deliberate, he essentially did deliberate planning. He knew that he wasn't going to live there forever. So he bought a, a decent, stable starting home, a starter home that he knew he could rent out in cash flow. So I assume that you did some due diligence. You saw what the rent was like in that area and what you could possibly cash flow from it once you moved out. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Now, a lot of people don't do that. Um, I, I love that. I love the fact that you did that. And if you're listening, um, I see a lot of people kind of uh, buy outside of their means. This is their first, first home, especially when they're military, man. Like, you know, you're going to PCS in three years, dude. You know, you're going to be leaving in like three years. If this is not going to be your final home, why would you extend yourself, you know, beyond your, uh, you know, beyond living below your means, essentially? Why, why would you not you know, live a little bit below your means, make sure you do your due diligence, especially if you want to turn into a rental property, make sure you do your due diligence, make sure it can rent out for a price that you can actually cash flow, meaning your pity that we talked about, plus any other vacancies, plus, you know, property management, plus HOA fees, if you have them, and subtract that from your cash flow, and there should still be a positive there, you know, so yeah. um, I, I love that you did that, I, I you know, Kudos to you. Kudos to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. It, it was awesome, man. Yeah. And when, when we bought the house that we're in now, uh, we had to we had to get our house up on the market for rent like ASAP, you know, to, in order to buy this house and get approved for it. Uh, so we, we listed the house for rent for, uh, for, for a good price. But within, you know, the first week of having it on the market, we had like 60 inquiries of people wanting to rent the property out. But what we did was, you know, we had to hurry up and, you know, get somebody in the property ASAP. We just went with like the first two or three people who uh, made an offer on the interest of the house. So, you know, we listed it for, um, for rent for a thousand and fifty. And the inquiries that I got from that house, I know that I could have at least rented it out for twelve, thirteen hundred dollars at least now. Now I'm like, man, I wish now, now I definitely know going into doing this house whenever we rent it out is definitely just uh, wait on it. Cause some, somebody out there will pray, will, will pay, you know, the pie, the price that you want to uh, put at the house for rent. But, you know, you definitely want to, you don't want to, you know, rent the house out for more than what it's worth. 
but also too is you know um definitely want to wait this time and actually get a little bit more than, than what i did yeah, yeah actually absolutely one of the things um as you guys are coming out and you're purchasing these nice start homes right for those looking to get invest or looking to get into investing with that va loan just always remember that this is one of the biggest uh, uh objections i always get well what happens if the market dips right or they try to evaluate all the numbers for what they can sell it for you know in three years and they're running the numbers today right yes the market goes up and uh, goes up and down but your pity payment when you use a va loan it's fixed it's fixed now yeah the insurance premium can flux here or there but for the most part your mortgage and your principal and interest is fixed so that is going to stay the same for 30 years so when you look at the rent right so now jake knows hey it's going to rent this area of rents out for a thousand dollars my mortgage payment is six hundred dollars just for an example well rents typically go up they rarely go down but that mortgage payment is fixed and mm -hmm. that's what you have to look at when you're looking at using your va loan to get these properties and ultimately do them you know slowly over and over as you're growing and just keep building that portfolio yeah exactly yeah exactly yeah that's absolutely perfect and i love just talking about those numbers i mean you pretty much said your your mortgage is about what 650 you said you're renting it for 1050 are you using a property manager right now my wife I'm, I'm handling the, you know, the fixes myself. Um, but my wife is, you know, managing the, the finance parts of it and everything. So, so you save on costs right there. So, uh, no property management. I'm assuming you probably set a little bit aside for your repair, for your repair, like monthly repairs or something like that. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, I assume you set a little bit aside maybe for vacancy. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just looking at the numbers without really digging into it, I'm sure your cash flow on at least $250 a month at least $250 a month based off of what you're saying right now. And that's undervalued because he's saying he's renting out for a thousand fifty. Um, I'm not sure how long that tenant has been in place, but you could easily every year once that tenant, if it's a good tenant, if it's a solid tenant that you really like and they want to be there long term, um, you can easily increase rent and $25, $50 increment, increasing your ROI, increasing your cash flow um, over time and while still maintaining a great tenant and increasing your cash flow as well. So um, that's, that's awesome. And that, that, that is how you do it, dude. That's textbook. Um, I wish uh, that everyone could hear that story and exactly how you, how you did that um, and apply that to them going out and buying a home. Cause too, too often do I see people, like I said, people will buy to the extent of their mean they'll buy a two, $300,000 house for a place that they're living at for, you know, for one year, just, you know, just to essentially keep up with the Joneses, in my opinion, yeah, yeah. That, for, the, for that IG pick, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and then when it's time to PCS, they're looking like, oh shit, man, like I bought this with 0% down. I was over leveraged because, you know, I rolled in my, my fees into the loan. So the home's worth $300,000, mm -hmm. but my mortgage is for $320,000 because they rolled those, rolled those extra fees into the, into their mortgage. Uh, so the place I can only rent this place for $2,000, right. But my mortgage is, or I can only rent the place for 1500 or for $1,500, but my mortgage is damn near $2,000. So they're taking a, taking a hit every single month. That's not the way you invest guys. That's not the way you invest. Do your due diligence on the front end, just like Jake did and uh, make sure you, you're buying an asset, not a liability that you're paying out, out of your pocket every single month. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's something that I wish I would have done too, is uh, I wish I would have started this, a little, you know, earlier in my military career. You know, I didn't get to do too much. You know, I, I uh, only did three and a half years. I, and I got medically separated, you know, like I said. Um, 
you know, some unfortunate events happened, but I wish I would have started that soon as I got in. I wish I would have took advantage of it, you know, right then and there. I'm only 25 now, but I wish I would have started it when I was 21, 22 years old, you know. Um, so that that's actually brings up a good point, man. You were a 19 Delta Cav Scout. If you ain't Cav, you ain't shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> My man. So how, how in the hell – what did you learn as a junior enlisted Cav Scout that made you so successful at insurance sales and savvy with real estate investing? What did the military contribute to that? Uh, leadership skills, uh, the go-getter attitude. Um, you know, with that type of job, you know, nothing, you know, nothing transfers out to the civilian world, you know, that you're going to find a job at. Um, but you just have to be a people person. You know, you got to learn how to, you got to learn how to add value to other people first. And what I learned in my time in the service is, you know, is being humble and being, uh, being a team player. And if, you know, if I'm not helping out somebody on the team, then I'm not getting any value into my life. And so that's what I really, you know, transferred out of the military is, you know, just, you gotta, you gotta put yourself second, you know, you gotta put other people first. And when you do that, things start, you know, really falling into place. Yeah. Love it, man. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Add value, man. Add value. And I love uh, you touched on the leadership skills. A lot of people think that there's absolutely no transferable skills uh, from the military, especially from combat arms. But like I, I would disagree, just like Jake says, um, those leadership skills, those are transferable throughout whatever field you get into. And uh, that go-getter attitude, that confidence, the, that confidence you instill in yourself, that you have in yourself, that you, in my opinion, um, I got most, I've got a lot of confidence from being combat arms as well, being able to talk to people, being able to be a team player, being able to, to help delegate, to delegate tasks and things like that. Uh, those, those, you don't learn that in a lot of other, um, in a lot of the fields, especially as young as you learned them, you know? Yeah. So uh, that's, that's awesome. That's you always find a way, you know, cause you know, things don't always go your way um, in combat arms, you know, in training and, you know, downrange and, you know, problems that happen. And you always got to find a way to, you know, to fix the problem. Always got to find a solution because there's always going to be a solution to everything. You know, um, you know, you really got to step back and think of how, you know, assess the problem and then find, find the solution because you'll, you'll always find the solution. If you really sit down and focus. There's never a no. There's yep, only a right. how can I. That's right. Got to live by that. I love it's, it. it can you say that again, Mike? There's never a no, there's only a how can I, that's it. Or how can we, how can, how can, because there's always, always a solution. I love it. Excellent, excellent. Hey, so, um, hey man, that's, that's you, you cover on a lot of topics. What, what's next for you? Uh, what's next for me is, you know, uh, I'm going to be in Fayetteville, North Carolina for, uh, I want to say another two or three years. Um, I'm, a, I'm originally from Alabama. My wife's from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, we eventually want to get back to Alabama. So I'm in what they call agent aspirant program now. Um, I just started that with the office. Um, so now uh, I got to stay a team member, you know, for another 18 months, I think, you know, really prove my, prove my grind and uh, the hustle. Um, so then once I, once I finish that, I'll go into uh, school uh, for 17 weeks of agency school and then I'll become uh, a Tika. And once I become a Tika, you know, that's one year of having your name on an office. And then if you, you know, meet the numbers and the requirements that you have as a Tika, then you get your contract. So hopefully in the next two or three years, I will be back in Alabama somewhere. You know, that's, that's, that's my plan really is being a state farm agent there. But 
but between the meantime of that, you know, I might buy another property or two to, to flip, sell it, you know, get enough capital to meet, you know, to go buy an office. Cause you know, you gotta have some money to go do some of that stuff. So that's probably what's next is trying to find the next property to buy and get a little cash from it. Damn, 23 year old calf scout buying houses, man, buying rental properties. I'm, you said you, you bought it when you were like 23, right? Yep, I was 23. Mm-hmm. 23 year old calf scouts out here doing it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, that's awesome. And he's 25. I'm going to buy a couple more houses, dude. That's freaking phenomenal. I, I yeah. love it. Love that story. Love, and I feel like I'm behind too, man. Like that's that's the thing is I feel like I'm behind. Yeah, bro, you you it's it's so funny because so many people say that. I mean, I know me and Dan feel like we're behind, right? But ultimately, you can if you always try to compare yourself to the outside world, you'll always feel behind. You are absolutely crushing it. And for anybody else out there that's afraid to get started, but they're still reading books, you guys are absolutely crushing it. You guys are light years ahead, and you just have to keep going step by step because I guarantee you. You know, four years from now, five years from now, when we're smoking a stogie, sipping on some of that good whiskey you got over there, we're going to be like, man, look where we came from. Remember yeah. when we were out hiking with 40 or 80 pounds on our back in the rain, sleeping under a poncho. Now look at us, right? Yeah. So yeah. It, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from, man, but you were, you were doing very cool. well. Yeah. I know we're probably getting close to time here, but one thing that I do want to uh, touch on, I'm not going to touch on it, but Mike, Mike knows this. Um, we definitely got to touch on it sometime in the future and actual cash value life insurance policies. Yeah. That's something that we, that's another, that's another podcast episode in the yeah. future. <laughs> yeah. We might bring you back on for that one. And that's what, and actually that, we're going to leave that alone right there. That's our teaser clip. Y'all have to stay tuned. Y'all got to, y'all have to subscribe. Y'all have to like, y'all have to follow. Y'all have to share this podcast and y'all have to leave a comment below if y'all want to hear how whole life insurance policy, cash value life insurance policies can actually help you accelerate your real estate portfolio. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. I got me. <laughs> Excellent. That's a, that's a perfect segue, man. So, Hey, if you have, if you could give some other, some advice to any other service member out there, that's uh, that's wanting to invest in real estate, right? What would that one piece of advice be? Get a mentor. Get a mentor. A hundred percent. Get a mentor. Find somebody who find somebody who has a couple properties. Find somebody who, you know, is is willing to uh to show you the ropes, you know. Someone who's not gonna, you know, be afraid to show you those things that they failed on and that they wish they would have done. But really, you know, find someone who has uh who's done it, who's been there and got the t shirt. Really, really that's um, I, you know, I've, I've talked to Mike several times, um, but I actually, I bought my first property before I knew Mike, but I wish whenever I had bought my first property, I wish that I would have found somebody like Mike or like somebody like you yourself or in the position that I'm in now, someone like me, I would, I really wish I would have, you know, reached out and said, Hey, you know, I wanted to buy for, I want to buy a home. What should I do? You know? Um, but yeah, you know, never be afraid to ask questions and, uh, always, you know, ask for help if you, if you need some, so. That's what I would, that'd be my advice to somebody who's going to go buy property is ask questions. Crazy you say that because uh, today, <laughs> so this, video, this video is not going to air for a couple months, but today we just dropped how to find a mentor. You guys go to the YouTube channel and check out how to find a mentor. Very short and sweet 10 minute clip. 
and we'll, we'll go over, you know, our struggles of finding a mentor and some of our tips and tricks for doing exactly our tips and tricks. I don't know why I'll say tips and tricks, but anyway, tips and tricks that Jake just talked about, about um, his number one tip uh, for success. Okay. So what do you do? What are you doing to find a mentor? I'm curious. What are you doing to find a mentor or do you already have a mentor? Or what did you to, what did you do to find that mentor? Um, so no kidding. I actually reached out to Mike one time. I said, Hey man, you mind mentoring me a little bit. And that's really what I did is I just, I sent him a text message and he said, yeah, I'd love to. We met at coffee buzz and, uh, yeah, sorry, Mike, I haven't been on my game, you know, you know, getting back with you a lot, but what I can tell somebody who has a mentor or you're getting one, you know, stay in front of them, you know, and that's one thing that I, I didn't do to Mike as much, but, um, really, you know, just, uh, don't be afraid to ask. That's, that's the one thing is, you know, just if you, if you really need to ask, if you don't, if you don't know something, so. Excellent. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. Thank you very much. Hey, so, uh, Jake from State Farm, Invest uh, Insurance 101, how can our listeners get in contact with you? Yeah, so you can find me on social media. I'm on Instagram, and it's Jake underscore from State Farm 004, <laughs> and uh, I'm on Facebook. It's just Jake Davis. Um, you know, I've got my, uh, I've got a business card out, too. You, can, you got, you know, um, if you want to reach out to Mike or uh, Mike's got my cell phone number, I'm not going to post my cell phone number on a podcast. All you crazy people out there calling me at 3 a.m. asking me what I'm wearing. Uh, so yeah, don't call me at 3 a.m. and ask me if I'm wearing khaki. So, but yeah. Hey, so, uh, so all his, all his links below, all his links will be below. So make sure you check out the show notes. Uh, we'll have all his, his tags and everything out there. So you guys can get in contact with Jake um, and, and pick his and get some information from him about, um, about uh, the insurance 101 deal. So uh, with that, um, Mike already hit it. Hey, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you hit the like, subscribe, uh, hit that notification bell so you can get more dope ass content. Um, follow us on the social media sites. And then um, if, you're listening to, if you're listening to this on podcasts and please uh, leave us a five-star review. Lastly, uh, we do have the Military Cash Flow uh, Facebook group where we have uh, damn near 600 people now. I think maybe over 600 people now. Um, the 600 service members that are actually investing, right? Uh, aspiring and actual investors. A lot of great stuff going on in the in the group. So uh, please check us out there. Um, leave us, you know, join the group and, and add value, right? Just like Jake is talking about, right? You can find mentors there as well because people, people, everyone there is about helping each other build wealth and create cash flow. So um, that's great, Mike. Yep. And as always, guys, if you are looking for a real estate, I'm sorry, real estate investing savvy agent in your area, let us know. We have partnered up with a lot of agents that we have already pre-vetted and we will connect you with them in your local area, all free to you. So let us know, reach out to us, reach out to us on the Facebook page. You have all of our social media. Let us know how we can help so you can get started making that military cash flow. Hey, Jake, really, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate your time. Appreciate uh, the knowledge that you gave. You dropped out to everybody. So thank you very much. Yeah, man, I, uh, I enjoyed it. Thanks again for having me, guys. This has been awesome. You know, uh, you know, I, this is I've always wanted to do a podcast and, you know, I finally got my dream. So I can go to sleep now. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed it, man. Thanks for having me. I really had a good time. Dude, dude, dude. Okay. All right. With that, this is Dan Wynn. Mike Glassby. Signing off.